January 6, 2008, Sunday school lesson on Jesus at the temple at the age of 12. Psychologists say that the older you get, the more there comes a yearning to go back to the place where your life began. With a birthday coming up this week, I want to assure you that I don't even remember where I came from. <laughs> I have no desire to go back. I'm happy where I am. We've got two gyms. We've got lots. Everyone in this room is a gym. But we've got two I want to single out particular, and that's Bob and Grace Soka. Got a card from Bob this week. He makes his own. I don't know why he's so stingy. <laughs> to Methuselah. Did he do it, Ryan? <laughs> oh, well. I just <laughs> Maybe we don't have a desire to go back where our lives began. But everyone ought to have a place to which he yearns to go from time to time a place where something tremendously has happened to change your life. And you go back to that place from time to time to get reassurance. Yes, this is real. Yes, this can happen. Yes, I did meet Christ and my life was changed. Robert Goodrich who later became a bishop, but as while pastor of First Methodist Church in Dallas, preached in a sermon about a cowboy roundup revival. Jim, are you familiar with that? I saw Jim a while ago. Where are you? Did I say Jim? There he is in a red shirt. Are you familiar with the cowboy revival in Texas? Well, I've heard of it, man, so I'm not familiar with it. Well. Well, you knew Bob Goodrich. Oh, absolutely. Anyway, he said that every year the cowboys and others interested came together for a revival meeting at a particular place. And it was one of the big events of the state. One person who taught the Bible every year at the revival found Christ at the cowboy revival. It made such an impact upon his life that thereafter, whenever the camp meeting met, he taught, he took his entire class out to the tree where he was when he found Christ. He said he wanted to share with everyone that magic place where a magic moment changed his life forever. Would that we all had such a place to which we could go and say, this is where I met Christ. This is where he became real to me. This is where I know with certainty that which comes as doubt at times to come. Well, David, before he became king, had such a place. You all know the story of David and Goliath because it's 
perhaps the most familiar of all the Bible stories, where David, as a young lad, was sent to check upon his brothers who were fighting for his country under King Saul. But when David arrived, he found that the Philistines on the one side and the Jews on the other were at a stalemate. The battle had come to an impasse, and to get something moving along, Goliath, one of the soldiers of the Philistines, nine feet tall, dressed in full armor, stood up before the army of Saul and said, Let's settle this once and for all. You give me your strongest man, your best soldier, and he and I will fight it out. And whichever of us loses, then that army loses to the victor. If we followed that today, I think we'd have fewer wars. Maybe we ought to move a little in that direction. But anyway, nobody would take up the threat that was with which they were faced. Who would face a nine-foot soldier dressed in all of his armor? And so as David came, he heard the charge from Goliath, saw no one moving. David had faith. David had fought mountain lions while he took care of the sheep on the hillside. He had fought bears. He knew what it was to come up against something stronger than himself, but he relied upon a power greater than his own. And when no one would move, he volunteered to do it himself. And everyone laughed, scoffed, this little lad to go fight a giant nine feet tall. But David walked out, the giant stood there. He saw David come and he laughed, he roared in laughter. The audacity of this little boy to come out and to face him in battle. But David had confidence. He reached down, found some pebbles, put them in his sling, and just as though he were facing a mountain lion, he let loose, and the stone found its place in the forehead of Goliath. Goliath was so stunned by the blow that he fell backward, and before he revived, David ran up, took his sword, severed his head, and the army fled in fear. David had his day. For all time, he would be immortalized for the day that he stood up to the giant and David whipped Goliath. David was taken into the king's household because of his courage, grew up, became a fine warrior, played the harp in order to soothe the depression of King Saul. But the people began to say, Saul has his thousands, but David has his ten thousands. And Saul was jealous of David, and so he sought to kill him, tried in many ways to take his life, and finally David fled for his life. And here he was alone out in the wilderness. He was fearful of the king and the king's armies. If he encountered any, they would take his life. He had no one to whom to go. Everything had fallen apart for him. And then he remembered that day on the plain in the valley between the two ridges. And he went back to the shrine where the battle had taken place. And he said to the priest there, let me have the Goliath's sword. 
and he gave him the sword of Goliath and David held it for a moment and it was almost as though it charged him with faith and action. He knew in that moment what he had done as a lad. He knew what he could do now that he was a man. He put away the sword and went on to become the greatest man in Hebrew history, the greatest king of them all, the dream of a new kingdom still among the Jews. He had a place to go where he knew that something had happened that showed him that he was capable of meeting whatever problem that he might have to face. We all need such a place. And Jesus had one. And that's what we celebrate today in our lesson. Jesus' life began at the altar in Jerusalem when he was circumcised on the eighth day of his life. He was pronounced a descendant of Abraham, a true Jew, on the eighth day of his life. He went back to Nazareth where his parents lived and he grew up under the tutelage of his mother and his father, became a young man to be admired by everyone in the village. We're sure of that, though we have no record of his life, no record at all from the time that he left Jerusalem as an infant. And then when he came back at the age of 12, if you are a part of certain religious groups, today is the day that you celebrate the baptism of Jesus. He came back to Jerusalem on his 12th year. He had become a man by Jewish tradition and law. Having passed the age of 12, now you could worship with the men. You could take on the responsibilities of the men. Prior to that, you stayed with the mother. If you went to the temple, you stayed in the court of the women. You could not go into the court of the men. You were just a child. Today, Jesus is a man. He's in the temple for the second time now of note. He had maybe been there other times, but only the second time of note, the time of his circumcision. And now that he was a man, he went for Passover. One of three celebrations in the Jewish faith that everyone within a reasonable radius had to come to Jerusalem to celebrate that holy day. And Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to celebrate Passover now that he was a man. Jesus knew that this was the place where he had symbolically became one of the favored people of Yahweh. He loved the temple in all of its beauty, all of its symbolism. After all, God was the architect. He told him what to do, how to build, what to put together to create the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. These were things that he cherished in his training. He grew up in Nazareth going to the synagogue and he learned academically all of these things. Now he was here. For the first time, he left the court of the women and walked into the court of the men. And there were the priests. And he began to listen as they taught. There were many things that they brought up that he didn't know about, and he would ask them questions. And he would hold on to their answers. He wanted to know more. He listened to 
He listened as long as they were talking, and he would ask them questions, and he would take the answers, and he would fit them into his mind. He was so excited about this encounter of his mind with the mind of the priest that time had no meaning to him. The first thing he realized was that his family had gone back to Nazareth thinking that he was with them. His friends had gone back to Nazareth thinking that he was with them, but he had forgotten all about them, the excitement of the encounter of his mind with the mind of the priest there in the temple. Once his parents discovered that he was missing, they came back and took him home. And Luke, in telling the story, made a very significant observation. He went back in obedience to Mary and Joseph, not thinking himself more highly esteemed than they. And he learned through his teenage years by their example and by their teaching as he grew in wisdom and stature in the sight of God and in the sight of man. He loved the temple. Here he encountered God through the priests, one-on-one, -on -one, not through others. He had encountered the truth that would take hold in his own mind and he would teach as long as he lived. It was a great day for Jesus as he spent the time in the temple learning who he was. It was a place he went back to many times. We don't have any record of the many times he went back to the temple, but he talked about the temple and how he cherished the temple. The temple was symbolic of God's presence on earth. That's why it was built. It symbolized the one place to which you could go and you'd know that God was there. Originally in the Holy of Holies, originally in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was gone now. Inside the Holy of Holies was only a stone representing where the Ark would sit. But the symbol of the Ark of the Covenant was still there, and it was a holy place. No one could enter that place except the priest on the Day of Atonement at no other time, too holy to be looked upon. Jesus was aware of that. This was where he, as a man, the manhood of Jesus touched the face of God. He loved to go to the temple. And so when his life came to an end, he went back to Jerusalem. He knew that they were going to take his life. He knew that he could no longer continue in peace the way that he had up until now. He knew that the priests, the Pharisees, and the others were just waiting to get hold of him so that they could stop his preaching and teaching. But when he came to Jerusalem for the Passover, he came to the temple. He wanted to come in touch with God in these final days, and he did. He was so incensed by what he had seen in the temple. This is God's house, he said. And they were selling goods at exorbitant prices, robbing the poor in order for them to be able to worship. And he became so incensed that we see anger, righteous anger on the part of Jesus for the first time. And he drove them out. They were many. He was one. But the power of his intent was so great that no one questioned him. They all left. This happened before the week grew on. Then 
the high priest whose receipts from the selling of these lambs and birds were such, he was losing a, a great amount of revenue. So he above all wanted to get rid of Jesus. But courageous in his faith, drawn to the temple as he was, each day of that week from the moment that he came in on Palm Sunday until the day before Good Friday, he came into the temple. And there on the porch of Solomon, he strode back and forth, teaching the people the truths they needed to hear, answering the questions that they asked, that they might live better lives. To whom shall we give tribute, to God or to Caesar? Give unto the Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give unto God the things that are God's. And we still debate that and use that premise as we come in contact with the responsibilities we are as citizens and the responsibilities we have as Christians. Jesus used those days in the temple to teach, knowing that his life was coming to an end. When he came into Jerusalem on that day, the Bible writer says he paused and looked over the city and wept. He was too far away to identify people. He couldn't single them out. But there, according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, when one came inside of Jerusalem, the first thing they saw was the temple. Magnificent temple with its columns of solid white marble plated with solid gold and the sunlight upon it caused it to lighten up as though it were a star that had settled onto the earth from the sky. That's what caught his eye. It had to be. And his love for the temple, he would later say, this beautiful spot built to remind people of God will soon be rubble and it will never be rebuilt. That's one reason he wept, as he wept for the people. And then he died. His life came to an end. He had visited that one place where he reminded himself the mission that he had come into the world to perform. And as he died and the last breath left his body, that symbol of God on earth behind that closed curtain suddenly became exposed to the whole world. The curtain was torn apart. Those whose eyes could never look upon the Holy of Holies look now upon the Holy of Holies because the holiest of all was hanging from a cross on a hill outside. David had his sword of Goliath. The cowboy in Texas had his spreading tree. Jesus had his temple. And where is a spot to which you go when your life needs refilling, refurbishing in every way? Hopefully it's the place where you said yes for the first time. If not, perhaps it will be the place where you will say yes for the first time. Any comments or questions? I didn't run over now. I want you to take note. I'm not the one who ran over. Did Jesus ever go back to family? Did he ever go back to pay their taxes? If so, 
If so, there's no record of it. No, he uh, he went back to Nazareth, and they tried to stun him to death, and he never went back to Galilee. He stayed in Judah from that time on. Any other comments or questions? I know where you are. Thank you, Vince. I'll wear an open neck shirt and, <laughs> and uh, denim pants.
Christmas and 